Please do be seated. A very good evening. Perhaps I can encourage you to open your bulletin to page eight. Your white bulletin to page eight. There's an outline there which will uh, help us see where we're going in our sermon this evening. Uh, if you want to open your Bible, then uh, John chapter one would be a good place. Uh, but probably most helpful today, your bulletin, page eight. And start with prayer. Father, we pray that this evening you would graciously work in our hearts by your Spirit to show us how you reveal yourself to us, particularly as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, today, as Martin very helpfully mentioned at the beginning, is Trinity Sunday, and it is also, perhaps fittingly, Father's Day. Perhaps fittingly, because there is, in fact, a link between the two. Our own fatherhoods are, according to Scripture, named for the fatherhood of God. Human fathers we are at our very best as fathers when our love and care towards our children reflects the love and care that our Heavenly Father shows towards us perfectly. Yet, when we talk like this about God the Father, sometimes it causes confusion, particularly for non-Christians. Perhaps you have friends who hear us talk of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and conclude, well, does that mean that you believe in three gods? Are they right? And if they're wrong, how might we help them to understand better? Other friends, perhaps particularly our Muslim friends, I know get really worried about this, don't they? They worry that if we say the Son is God, then somehow we've invented another God to put alongside the true God. And that would be a terrible sin to invent another God. They would far prefer if we said that Jesus is a prophet, a, a very, very great prophet, sure, but still a prophet and not actually God. <coughs> Are they right? Would we be better to stop calling Jesus God? How can we talk to them about this? And there are still others, perhaps you have encountered them. Others who, when they hear about the Father and the Son, immediately draw comparisons to the very worst in human fathers. People who hear of how God the Father sent God the Son to suffer and die for our sins and accuse God of what they call cosmic child abuse. They ask, how can a good father punish his innocent child because of what other people have done. They ask, how can we accept a God who, who would do such a thing? <coughs> so are they right? And if they are wrong, why are they wrong? Well, today we are going to spend some time looking at a little of what the Bible does have to say about all these very important topics. And it is my prayer that by the time we are done, 
we will not only be clearer in our own understanding of Trinity, but also we'll be ready to be able to help our friends to understand both Trinity and the gospel as well. We start off when we talk about the Trinity with the most fundamental truth, and that is that God is one. Both Old Testament and New Testament insist on this. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, which Jesus himself quotes in Mark 12, says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So whatever conclusions we draw about Trinity, they cannot include the conclusion that there is more than one God. The Bible is clear that there is one God. So then why do we talk of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to start with? I've chosen two passages for us to look at briefly together. And the easy ones to remember with your friends, they are Genesis chapter 1 from the beginning and John chapter 1, again from the beginning, Genesis and John. And both of them start off with exactly the same words. Both of them, if you remember, say, in the beginning. John, writing after the death and resurrection of Jesus, deliberately starts off his gospel by repeating the way the Bible itself starts. But he does it in such a way that as he repeats the beginning, he shows us Jesus from the beginning of creation. John says, in the beginning. And here we are expecting to hear the same thing that Genesis says, in the beginning, God. But he does not say God. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word in Greek, logos. What is this word? Is he implying that the word is God by putting the word in the place of God? Well, actually, yes. As he goes on to say plainly, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This word, whatever the word is, was God and with God from the beginning. The word, whatever the word is, is clearly divine. And not only that, the word, as we're about to see, is intimately involved with creation itself. But what does Genesis go on to say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what does John say? He says that it is the word by whom all things were made and without whom was not anything made that was made. It is by the word creation. We hear it, it feels new, doesn't it? But actually, John is helping us to see something that is already here for us in Genesis. For when we heard Genesis read to us, how was it that God created in the beginning? Genesis puts it like this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Or as Psalm 33 in verse 6 puts it, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. And by the word, all things were made. 
there's one more thing to notice in Genesis, and that is at the end of verse 2, something perhaps hidden. It says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. No explanation is given. Perhaps we're wondering what this Spirit of God is. But do you see now we have, even in Genesis at the beginning, God who creates the Word by whom all things are created, and the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. The time of Genesis, it was shrouded in mystery, but the time came when God revealed himself. The time came when God chose to send the word by whom he made light in the darkness at the beginning of creation, to send the word to become light into the darkness of sin to become light and life for man, as John says, in him, in the word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So who is this word, the light and life of men? Well, we have seen it, for as John 1 and verse 14 puts it, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is this word made flesh, the Son of the Father. And if he is the word made flesh, what do we now know about him? He is the one who from before the beginning of creation was with God and was God. God with God from all eternity, now made flesh, sent into the world to reveal God to us, as John says, verse 18, for no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Is the Spirit here too? That was the last thing that Buha read to us, wasn't it? Verse 32, John records for us the words of John the Baptist, remembering how when Jesus himself, the Son, was baptized into the waters, the Spirit of God finally descended and remained upon him to prove that he really is, as John says, the Son of God. Where are we so far? We believe in one God. We have seen that the Father is God, but also that the Son is God. The Son is God with God. And as Andrew told us last week, the Holy Spirit is God too. But yet, there is only one God. One God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To help us to think a little bit more about that, I've put two more verses on our sheet. And the first one is Titus 2 and verses 13. Here, if you remember um, what was read to us in the epistle, we're being challenged to think about how we live our lives now as we wait for our blessed hope, as we wait for Jesus to come back. But did you see how our hope, how Jesus is described there? He's described, and I quote as, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for us to redeem us. You couldn't put it more clearly if you tried, could you? Jesus is our great God and Savior. But more than that, he is also our great God and Savior who died, who gave himself to redeem us. And this, in the end, is the real reason why the Trinity was revealed to us and why it is so important for us as Christians. If there were no Trinity, then the cross would be useless and there would be no gospel. What is happening at the cross? At the cross, God the Father has sent God the Son to take on our flesh, to suffer and die for the sins of the world. <coughs> At the cross, God the Son becomes the perfect sacrifice to then reconcile the world to God. The cross depends upon the Father and the Son. And as the next verse on your sheet, Colossians 1 and verse 9 puts it, for in him, in the Son, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. The cross requires God the Father and God the Son. It depends on the Trinity. Even our favorite verse, John 3 and verse 16, depends on the Trinity. As it puts it, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Without father and son, there can be no salvation. The father sending his son only makes sense with Trinity. Well, how about our opening questions? First, do Christians actually believe in three gods? Well, as we've seen no, we emphatically believe in one God. But yet we've also seen that the one God in whom we believe is in three persons. That the Son is God. That has been clearly seen from John. He is God with God. If we say about the Son, he is not God, then we are contradicting that part of the Bible. But if we say that he is another God, then we're contradicting the other part that God is one. Therefore, as Christians, we trust what God has revealed about himself, that he is one, but yet he is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How about the second question? Would it actually just make things a lot better if we said that Jesus was just a great prophet? A really, really great prophet, if you like. And I know why some of our friends argue for this. But you cannot argue for this without also throwing away all hope of salvation. If Jesus was just a really, really great prophet, then his death was sad, it was a tragedy, but it achieved nothing more than the death of any of the other prophets that went before him. It is only because Jesus the Son is God only because, as Colossians was showing us, only because the fullness of deity dwells in him, that his sacrifice is different, that his sacrifice is able to reconcile us to eternal God. 
if you were just a prophet, no one could be saved. Finally, how about that accusation of cosmic child abuse? It sounds shocking to our ears, doesn't it? And it should. So it's a wicked thing to say about God. It is a blasphemous thing to say about God, not least because it is not at all true. Not if we have understood the Trinity. Because, dear brothers and sisters, the Trinity is not just showing that there is a distinction between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Trinity is showing us that these three are one God. There is a unity of the Godhead, a unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. One God in three persons. When God the Father sent his Son to die for our sins, who dies for our sins? Who pays for our sins? It is God himself who pays for our sins. It is God himself in the person of his Son who suffers and dies for our sins. It is not a separate being being punished for us. He himself bears our sins. It's, in fact, the only way that we can be saved. If you remember our opening hymn, which is quoting from Isaiah 6, our God is holy, holy, holy. Make no mistake, he is so holy that every sin and wickedness must be paid for. Every transgression must be judged. But yet, he loves us so much, despite our sins, that instead of pouring out upon us the judgment we deserve, he himself became man and took our place in that judgment. God himself, the wronged party, took our place to pay himself in the person of his son the dreadful penalty our sins deserved. That is to say, if we understand what the scriptures show us of Trinity, we realize the cross is not cosmic child abuse at all, but it is actually the greatest act of self-sacrificial fatherly love that this world has ever known or ever will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the wonderful love that you have poured out upon us sinners in your Son, who you gave to bear our sins, that we could be forgiven, that we will not perish, but have eternal life. We pray that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit to help us to know you rightly, the only God in three persons. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and through the strength of our faith prepare us for the things that you have set before us each day. We pray particularly, Father, that you would help us to be able to point those who do not yet know you to what you have revealed about yourself. We pray that you would help us to show them what it means to come to the Father 
through the Son, by the Spirit, in the forgiveness of their sins. We pray that through that they too might be saved and enter life. Father, we pray that you would graciously do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. And we will say together the words of the Apostles' Creed, which is what we believe to be found on page 34 of the yellow booklet. Page 34. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion